Hi, this is Matt Drinkle, the head football coach at Kansas Wesleyan University, and you're listening to the Coach and Coordinator Podcast with Keith Grabowski. On today's podcast, we go back into our archives with a discussion we had with Matt Drinkle, who is now the tight ends coach at Army. At the time, he was the head football coach at Kansas Wesleyan, where he did an outstanding job in bringing that program to NAIA national prominence. I've always been very impressed with Coach Drinkle, and you're going to see why here. A lot of our podcasts are buried in the archives, and I'm going to do my best to bring some of those out from time to time, and I think this is an outstanding one. If you haven't heard it before, please enjoy. If you have heard it before, I know there's a lot of great stuff in this one that you're going to enjoy hearing again. Coach Drinkle, thanks for joining us on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Keith, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Coach, there's a a lot of things I want to talk to you about, but let's start with this turnaround that you've had at Kansas Wesleyan. So you took over a program that uh, had been struggling of late. In your first season, you went 2-9, and nine, and then in the next year, you guys had the best season in school history going 10-1 and won the regular season and making uh, the playoffs the first time since 2002. What was the key for you in the turnaround as, as you began your first head coaching job? What things did you do immediately that made the difference for you that you're able to do that? Well, the first thing was, I guess, the assessment of it. Uh, I had been an offensive coordinator leading up to that point, but and uh, had interviewed and been offered some different jobs kind of every every off season in the hiring cycle. And the three there were three things I always thought a place had to have that I was really kind of particular about, which was you know a wide variety of academic offerings, uh, every resource you need for football success, meaning. Uh, game field practice facilities locker room weight room all that stuff and then a good place to live and go to college like the, the social and community setting so if a place has those three i think it's, it should be taken very seriously as far as a uh, head coaching opportunity and kansas wesleyan and salina kansas had those three coming up you know we had to build a stadium uh, they were in the process final processes of fundraising for that and getting that process done but the, the reality was is when I got hired, there were 38 kids on the team, and they had no true, you know, no real strong tradition, and and uh, we knew no matter what that first year was going to be rough. So, what we did, there was two big things I thought the first year that was really important was we never wavered from our plan. Uh, we didn't try to cut corners or, uh, you know, use band aids to fix artery bleeds. We kind of took our lumps knowing that was going to result in, uh, you know, there was nothing we were going to be able to do that was going to result in winning games a whole bunch that first year. So what we wanted to do was improve. And then the second thing that we wanted to do was how do you define success within your program outside of just winning and losing games? You know, the analogy I always use is a pitcher can go out and pitch a one hitter and lose. That doesn't mean he pitched bad. So if you strictly define success as wins and losses, you're, you're going to be in for some big trouble. And, and uh, I think a lot of that carries over into your regular everyday life. So we, we didn't waver and, and we really wanted to define how we did it and stayed the course and had a good plan in place as far as how we were going to utilize the, the resources here and what we needed to do within the conference to win and, and what changes need to be made culturally here to, to get going. And I know looking at your bio and, and some of the first things you said as the head coach at Kansas Wesleyan is – you focus really on three things. Number one, you're going to be smart. Number two, you're going to be physical. 
And the third thing you focused on, usually you hear work or accountability or those kinds of things, you focused on the word fun. In fact, you said our players will be proud to be part of a team and will have a blast doing it. And uh, that's, a, that's a little bit different than what you usually hear. So how did the fun factor, I guess, play a part in it? Well, I'm, I'm 34 years old, and I'm the oldest coach on our whole staff. Where Our average age of our staff is almost 27 years old. So we're a young group of guys, and I think, you know, the, the more I've learned, I've been really, really lucky. I've been around. I've coached at different levels from Division One to high school, and I've coached every position in football except defensive line. So I've been really lucky to be around during my coaching career, really, really good coaches and good people. I've seen all different kinds of personalities and what, what's really changed with, with me and how I go about my approach is I'm going to do stuff the way I think is right. Uh, and what I mean by that is you can't try to be, I, I think a lot of young coaches, I think a lot of every coach does this. I certainly used to really bad, but you try to emulate a coach that you looked up to. Well, some, most of the coaches I look up to and that were huge professional influence. I mean, my, I'm a weird dude, man. My personality couldn't be any different from those guys. So you, really kind of being ourselves where the two things I think of is that I don't think football should be your whole life because it ends for everybody at some point, but I think it should be a supplemental part of your life uh, going along with a lot of different things that, that go into that, that pot that, you know, make up your every day. So I see it as I want two hours of your day and the two hours you spend with me should be the two hours you look forward to the most. And we constantly run internal assessments to figure out, like, what are different things we can be doing to make it so our kids are re-energized. And I will, even if it's doing thing, activities as a group, you know, there was, you know, we, in the middle of our 2015 season when we were, uh, we had a lot of success and we got done with a practice in the middle of the year. And I was talking to the kids about uh, the movie Tombstone and they hadn't seen it. And I realized, like, most of these kids were born in, like, 1994, 95 after that movie came out. So we just canceled practice the next day and rented out a movie theater and showed it in the big screen and went and got, you know, popcorn and pretzels and pop and all that stuff and watched Tombstone because there's, the, you know, because it was kind of a, we're in the middle of the year. We're going to run power and inside zone and mm-hmm. line up and fit your run fits and cover three and all that stuff. And it was more important that we do that stuff. So. I don't know. It was just, uh, I, I just, view, I think that's so important. I think people get, people lose, lose sight of that, that it's a game that's supposed to be fun and our kids work their butt off and, and like everybody else's do. And you want to make it, I think that's an important battle to fight is to make sure it's continuing to have fun for those guys. And you mention it as a, a battle. And I think that's interesting. It's a battle to have fun. And you think about, especially in terms when you're taking over, you got 38 guys, um, maybe they are not in the best place in, 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 a, in their, their frame of mind as far as what they want to do. And you say, we're going to have fun. Um, how tough is that to instill in a culture, that, uh, you know, especially when you think in terms of just what you generalize in football, that it's going to be a, a tough, uh, really work-driven, you know, nose-to-the-grindstone kind of experience, and you come in and say, guys, we're going to have fun. How do you instill yeah. that? What are the first things you do? to make that happen? Well, it's hard. It's hard. And, and like I said, stay in the course and being disciplined within that is, is definitely a challenge because it, it's kind of finding that balance of the two where you got to be able to push them hard and then be able to reward them for doing what they want to, you know, what achieving what you wanted to. And 
you know, one of the, I think one of the smartest things that we do, maybe the only smart thing we do is we talk about failure and, and what we really refer to as either like, re, like resiliency or friction. We talk about that all the time. There's like in your life, whatever, whether you're dating a girl or playing somebody online in a video game or studying for a class, whatever it is, things don't ever go the way you plan them to. You know what I mean? Like they, they, they never just go smooth. That never happens. So we prepare and plan for when bumps come in the road or like, a, you know, we do, a, I, I read a lot, I'm a big history guy and read a lot about military stuff and the, and the uh, SEALs talk about, they never use the word adversity. They always use the word friction because it just slows you down for a little bit and you get through it. And you're just going to get through it no matter what. So I think that, you know, we, we do a really good job preparing our kids psychologically that almost never anything goes perfect. You know, and very rarely do you find a play that's blocked perfectly or, you know, punt protection, you know, you go through a whole year and no punts get blocked or whatever, you know, it's perfect weather every day. And so I, I think it's just, like I said, that balance of, of pushing your kids really hard and rewarding them for when they, they do exactly what you're trying to get out of it. Coach, how do you condition your, your freshmen to, to get that ingrained in them, you know, initially? Uh, they want to come in and impress you, and they're going to come in and work hard. How do you get them to, uh, I guess, you know, take a step back and become part of that culture that, hey, you know, we're going to work hard, but we're going to have fun? So I actually talked to a coach that used to work for me. He's now the offensive coordinator at Coke College named Myers Henderson. And I just talked to him about this because we do, we do have this really neat internal leadership thing we do in the off season. And uh, I was just talking with Myers about this, that really there's four areas. Each of your, you can't ask everything from the same kids because they can't do it all. So really, if you look at like the four stages of, of a player's development, or, or what you're, what they need to be really good at. If you had to put a theme, I guess is the best word to use, is a theme into what they need to do is freshmen need to be coachable. Listen to what your coaches say and do it. Listen to what your upperclassmen say and do it. If you can be coachable as freshmen, the brand new people, that's your only job, be coachable. The sophomores being able to know what we do and why we do it. Hey, these are the plays we run. This is the times we lift. This is why we practice this way. So sophomores know what we do, why we do it. The juniors really focusing on leadership and the seniors focusing on legacy. And uh, when you stagger it that way and you really only ask those things from those people, you really uh, kind of walks them right along the conveyor belt of uh, assembling exactly the kind of program or culture that you want. I think everybody understands the leadership part, and we talk about that quite a bit here on this podcast. Talk to us about the legacy part that your seniors are responsible for. Well, uh, I'll, I'll give a great example of that is that my first year here, arguably my favorite player that I have ever coached in my entire career was a senior in that class. And I don't think he started a single game his entire college career here, but he was a kid named Sam Vaughn, who is now going through Green Beret School who was our valedictorian as a 4.0 student here. He was a team captain who was going into the senior season to be the starting quarterback. And we recruited a kid named Jake Curran, who came in and ended up as the conference player of the year at quarterback. So he got beat out and was the most selfless, what can I do, energetic, unbelievable person. And he, and he was a really good leader, like one-on-one -on -one behind the scenes and really went out of his way. 
and that guy gets talked about more than any other kid in the three seasons I've been here than, than I've ever been around. He might get talked about more than any kid I've ever of any program I've been around because of the legacy he left behind. And that's what I try to, he's taught me as much as he taught any kid as far as, you know, if you take the football part of it away, if you take just your talent away, what are the people going to say about you when you're gone? What are the secretaries, what are the janitors, what are your teammates, what are the coaches, what are they going to say about you? Are they going to say that you were, you know, you always brought energy. You were always fun to be around. You made the room better when you walked into it. You were the toughest dude there was. You were the best preparation guy. Are they going to say those things, or are they going to say loser qualities about you? You know, our kids will laugh because I say it 7,000 times a week probably, but you win with winners and you lose with losers. My mom knows absolutely nothing about football. And if it was easy as reading an Excel sheet that this guy's six foot four, 240 pounds and runs this and jumps that and lifts this, my mom could just make the NFL team tomorrow. So that, that that is not, in my opinion, you know, you like some of that stuff, but really if, if you categorize all the people that you've had success with, they're winners as people or they're losers. And you got to try to get as many of those guys in and, and onto that side of the fence as possible. Coach, let's focus on another part of, of you know, what you said, those three things you're going to do in the program. Uh, you said you're going to have a physical style. And uh, obviously that's something that you do on both sides of the ball and in your special teams as well. Describe to us, and I know you're an offensive guy, describe to us your offense. What gives your offense a physical style and the way you do it? So we're a power spread offense. That's, that's kind of been my whole, uh, I guess, what I've really focused in or honed in on. But, uh, you know, I was a receiver as a player, but I'm an O-line coach by trade. I'll tell you, you know, just everywhere I've ever been, my high school program, a college program, just you know, everywhere you look at, there's some consistencies as far as uh, what's causing teams to win. Everybody practices, everybody watches film, everybody lifts weights, everybody has cool uniforms. All that's a push. So then how come there are teams that always win and teams that always lose or struggle? And really what you, you try to find those other variables or commonalities between successful programs. And I try to study that like crazy. And the thing that, uh, you know, I was born and raised in two back old school pro style offenses. And really, I, you know, I just spoke at a clinic two weeks ago and my biggest contention is over the last, as far as I can tell, uh, pertaining to offensive football, the two biggest things that have changed over the last 60 years is one utilizing space on the field as a resource, the same way you would personnel groupings, formations, or plays. And the second thing is being able to frequency or tempo of which you do those things. Now, when I say tempo, I don't just mean going a million miles an hour right away, but there's all kinds of ways you can tempo people, uh, whether that's, you know, traditional huddle, sugar huddle, go really fast, go really slow, look tempo, knowing how to utilize those things. So we're, we're a power spread off. I'll, I'll tell you when my whole light bulb moment came was the, I'm thinking of 2012, but the 2012 Rose Bowl when Wisconsin played Oregon. That's the most fun I've ever had. I've never been transfixed on something like that in my entire life because we were watching this game of Chip Kelly and his, you know, 10 personnel, 11 personnel offense versus Wisconsin and their 22 and 12 team. And they couldn't go up. They're both trying and really trying to do the exact same thing. And they're both absolutely elite at it. And they go about it completely separate ways. Wisconsin, you know, at that time was, you know, when Paul Chris was running offense, they were much slower 
uh, trades, shifts, motions, double change of strength, all that stuff. And Oregon was really pretty simplistic as far as formations and, and using tempo. So that's when I, you know, really started to think in my head, was there a way to, is there a way to kind of combine these two things? So, you know, the biggest thing for us is like, if you offensively, we're, we carry two run families. We're an inside zone team and we're a gap team, you know, power and, and what you guys were, or what people would probably call like F counter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the only two runs we carry. And we really, uh, we window dress the heck out of stuff to make it look like we're doing more than we really are. And it's hard because we carry complimentary stuff, but then we build in some, some RPO things that'll again, allow you to have to defend the whole field. So if you're out, if I'm running power into a six man box, the same way you used to in 1991, but now there's six guys there instead of nine, that's way easier to gain yards that way. So that's really what we've been doing there offensively, defensively, uh, we're a four-man front and try to roll an eighth guy into the box versus two back and versus one back. We're going to defend space. So that's really defensively. That's our big thing is that if your personnel groupings equal three or more, so 21, 12, things like that. If your personnel grouping equals three or more, you're trying to use people to beat us. So we're going to defend the formations. If you jump into personnel groupings that equal less than three, so 10 and 11, you're trying to use space to beat us. So that changes our philosophy as to how we defend you because of what you're trying to do. But, uh, you know, and that's the other thing is that, you know, being the head coach here, the first thing I did when I uh, accepted the job was I spent about 10 days just doing a five-year analysis of the conference of who are the really good teams that are consistently in the top half of the league? What do those guys run? What has historically been run in the conference? Uh, People that have had success so. I think a lot of that things, what do you need to do to win? And then it comes down to who are your best 11 kids and what do those guys do well? Coach, I've obviously seen a lot of defending personnel or defending space. I haven't heard that formula before of, of taking the personnel grouping and adding that up. Where where did you get that idea? Where did you come up with that? We just, in a staff meeting, we were just talking about it. And really that was the the antithesis of it was that we, you know, kind of like what gives me a pain in the butt or uh, defensively or what I see that is either like that I try to take advantage of or whatever. And, and then you look at, because uh, if you can defend us offensively, we, like formation wise, we don't run a ton of plays, but we run like what, what looks like a whole bunch of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you can defend us, you get to see a lot of different looks and then, uh, you know, trends in your league and trends in college football. So we really started to watch that. And we really started taking that approach to it a year ago. Uh, that's helped us out a great deal as far as, you know, you, you know, we believe in systems here as opposed to plays, not right or wrong, just kind of what we do. So there's always things that catch you or somebody that gives you a lot of trouble. Uh, there's a team in our league that, that, that'll get in 10 personnel and formation you into the boundary and kill, and kill you with Q run, and they're really, really good at it. So uh, seeing some of those things really led us to do that and come up with that. But that, that as a fail-safe, uh, just kind of general philosophy has helped us out a bunch. Coach, and I share the the philosophy you talk about with offense, you know, that pro style or power, I'm sorry, power spread. Uh, and, and the idea, too, of staying with trends. How are you able to, you know, look at a trend, say, hey, we want to implement this, but still keep that playbook from getting too thick and cumbersome, especially for your players? So I, I'm I'm probably the opposite of every offensive guy you will talk to is like, 
I will constantly try to find things to take out of our playbook because of that exact reason. I heard Paul Chris talk about it a long time ago that every you got what you got the first three days of install, and that's probably who you are and what you're going to go down with. You know, if the shit goes down, you're going down with those plays, but you run the risk of if you're adding something week seven or eight, you don't have any reps at it. So it might look good schematically, but you don't – how much do you trust that or how much do you run that? And that always, you know, as far as I'm concerned, at least when I game plan, that, that always – ends up killing me every year. I try, you know, I probably do it two or three times, two or three games a year where I try to add a play that I think is going to be great because I see something on film and it never is. <laughs> you go back and you're like, ah, I'm just taking reps away from other stuff that we're really good at. And uh, so I've really gotten away from doing it, you know, adding any once the season starts. And, and I, I think the other thing too, that's helped us by doing that is we have a system that's flexible within games and week to week, which is really simple that, that, that really kind of allows you almost like a transformer kind of or buffet, you know, like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you can do it on the fly uh, during the course of games and week to week. Like I said, that, that's been very, very helpful for us because like I said, you just, uh, somebody might come out in something that's different or you practice against something that's, you know, one look the whole time. And, and you just, this allows you to buy those and get out of jail free card for some of those issues. Yeah, I always talk to our players about our offense, which, you know, as you describe yours, we used a similar uh, type of offense at, at Baldwin-Wallace University. And I talk to the players about our system really being like a Lego set and that, you know, one week we yeah. might take those Legos and put them together and, and we might just need a car. But then the next week we might take it apart and use those same pieces and build a rocket ship. So um, it really, when you have the, the components that fit together, you keep it simple, but you have the ability, like you said, to window dress it, to use your formations, your personnel. It remains simple for the players, but very complex to defend for a defense. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that is, I just took a note of that because that's a perfect way to say it. You know, I'll tell you the other thing as a coach that I really like about doing it this way is – you know, the past two years, we've been right around, you know, right at 500 yards a game and 41, 42 points a game on offense. And I have watched less film as far as preparation and game planning than I've ever watched in my entire career. We've gotten much more efficient at the way that we game plan for somebody. And I'll, I'll kind of just tell you the gist of it is, you know, really because you can build those things structurally within your system during the course of a game or week, like you were saying with the Lego set, what we really try to do is every staff in America gets done with a practice every day. This happens even at Alabama or with the New England Patriots. They sit down in a staff meeting or sitting around afterwards, and they complain about at least three kids. Man, this kid wasn't very good, or I wish we had somebody better at those spots. Everybody's got those guys, three of them. So what I try to do is I don't, you know, cover two is cover two and over and under. That's all great. I try to find out who the three guys are in my film with like efficiency cutups. I try to find out who are the three guys on your team that your staff wish wasn't on the field. And then I will try to make my good guys go against your bad guys <laughs> as much as possible running really basic stuff. And then afterwards, hopefully they go and continue that conversation. So really that's what we, that is a big part of our game plan that really we can just watch efficiency cut us. I'll be honest with you, in the last two years, I've, I haven't sat down and watched a full game, just snap after snap after snap. 
because it allows us to do this because that, that kind of, you can hide guys doing it that way. But if you, I mean, you make a inside run cut up of gains of four or more, you can find out, find out some not very good tacklers are pretty fast. Absolutely. And coach, it is about being, you know, working smarter, not harder sometimes. And obviously that that's the third part of what you said your, your football team was going to be that you're going to have smart football players and that really, in my opinion, comes from two things. Number one, you have a coaching staff who teaches very well and can make those guys smarter. But number two, you have players who are willing to commit to the mental part of the game and not just be robots out on the field, you know, running what, what the lines look like, but actually understanding everything that might happen along the way. So what things do you focus on as, as teachers of this game? Uh, what things do you do that get your players to be smart football players? Uh, there's two big ones is, is one is about the kids, you know, for as much as old guys complain about millennials and they're always on their phones or, okay, well that, that might, they might not be out, you know, getting in fist fights in the streets back in the day, like everybody else used to, but these kids can process information and data, mass amounts of it in very, very little limited amounts of time. Their brains have been trained that way through every single thing that they do. So I think our, the kids have a, if you challenge your guys to be the smartest or obtain the most information or that, that is, at least in my experience, that's been a very, very big point of pride with our guys is that that they like that feeling and it adds to the confidence kind of, you know, like I know something that you don't know and I learned this, I'm smart. I'm, you know, I'm going to be in a better position or more confident than you are. So I think that's one big thing is that man, kids, don't sell them short. Those guys, as long as you can sit down and teach it to them and teach it to them in a way that they're going to obtain it and learn it, that's been really good for us. And the second thing that we do is we do a pretty unique thing called football school where, excuse me, in the off season, we will get together within our, we use up like our uh, allotted time with our kids to do football school. And football school for us, is it, it is nothing with, I shouldn't say nothing. At the very end, it's a little bit about what we do on each side of the ball. But really, it's just general football theory, taking 10 steps back and explaining to everybody in the room, hey, this, this is, these are personnel groupings. When we say two-by-two two formation, that is what this is. When we say, when we count number one, number two, number three defensively, that's, this is how you make these counts. This is what you do. When you talk about backfield depth, talk about O-line splits and why they do that. You know, one of the things I'll do, I'll go in there and I'll talk to the entire defense about how offensive lines make their calls. And how when you play a team that's a 10 personnel team or 11 personnel team, they're probably an inside zone team. So when you hear that domino effect of calls going down the line of scrimmage, uh, you probably know it's the run play and you probably know which way it's going. And then you can check with the depth of the back to confirm those things. So for us, uh, we really, I mean, training wheels, uh, arm floaties in the pool, like start from scratch and, and really walk them through a really – uh, meticulous learning process. But the thing is, whenever we get together to meet, we'll never, ever, ever under any circumstances go longer than 30 minutes because you'll lose them and they want to teach you. It forces you as coaches to get them the information they need to know in the shortest amount of time. And that's in the way that those guys typically learn things the best. So we cover this stuff and we cover it often, but only in 30 minutes, which allows your focus to stay stronger. And that that's really been, it's really nothing even about the plays that you run. It's just general, football theory so i'd be curious to see you know every now and then you laugh because you hear a kid come in 
and talk about, oh, I was doing some of this stuff when I was playing some of the kid on Madden and online, and yeah, it really works. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's, what, that's, what all, that's what they do in college games. This is what you're doing in real games. So. Well, Coach, we, before we got going, we started to talk about some unique things that you do, and one of them is your, your game week practice. Take us through what's unique about your game week. Sure. So uh, we basically use three what we refer to as real practices for a game. So I'll t- take you through it. To, uh, so high school guys obviously would kick it over one day. but So we'll play our game on Saturday. Uh, we'll get done with Saturday. The kids are completely off after that. We will come in Sunday mornings briefly for about an hour and a half. During that time, they'll watch, you know, each side of the ball gets a lift and about a 20-play cut-up of, of the stuff they need to, needed to see or needed to get cleaned up from the previous game. So we don't sit and watch the whole game or anything like that. Just really about 20 snaps, 20, 25 snaps. So on Sundays, our day after the game, I was going to count that as day one, they're about an hour and a half early, 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 so they're up and out of bed, and then the rest of the day completely off. Then when we hit Monday, so day two, they are completely off. So they don't have a single meeting, no, nothing at all. So we use a business day, so it allows them to, if they want to meet with professors, advisors, uh, office hours, go see a tutor, whatever, they have no conflict at the beginning of their academic week whatsoever. Then Tuesday, so day three when we get together, we go out on the field. Uh, we'll meet first. And then we'll go out on the field for about 35 minutes with a helmet-only situational review. So that's when we do all of, like, the weird, uh, the wind blows the tee off the ball, taking a safety on purpose, you know, returning a kick after a safety, fire calls on field goal. And then we do uh, about a 10-minute, again, within that 35-minute window, that takes about 22 minutes. Then we knock out a 10-minute, very, very basic opponent introduction. Uh, so they, so the stuff that you've covered in meetings, now they're seeing it physically out on the field. Hey, this is going to be their base fronts, their base coverages, and then base formations, base plays defensively. Then on all our Wednesdays and Thursdays, that's when we go about two hours long, and it's full gear, and we'll tackle. Uh, we'll tackle everybody, including quarterbacks during that time. We're a rugby tackle team. I think that's one of those – I can get to that later, but – we tackle, it's live, we go no longer than two hours. We do probably two team periods during that during those practices on average. We're not a big seven on seven team, so, so we typically will do those. And then Friday, the day before the game, we'll go helmets and shoulder pads. It's about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and it's a million miles an hour, but for really, really short. So really we use that week to build up kind of as a crescendo to the game and then the other you know one of the biggest things of doing that so basically a kid plays saturday he's got really all day sunday all day monday and 95 percent of tuesday completely off by the time wednesday hits we know everything there is to know about our opponent it's given us time to finalize and get a better game plan together we you know we're not going to change anything by the time wednesday hits so the, the, the reps that you're getting and the looks that you're getting in practice are much higher quality from the time you start your actual uh, physical prep for that week. And then on top of which, your good players who played a lot in the games, they're typically almost all recovered outside of a major injury from all that time that they have off. 
and then we build up and build up. So then that, again, that Friday duration is really short. So intensity is really high. And then what, the only time we adjust that plan is as the year goes on, we're those Wednesday, Thursdays are about two hours until October hits. Once October hits, we go down to about an hour and 15 minutes out of the field. And then once November hits, we're probably never on the field longer than 50 minutes, 45, 50 minutes, because at that point in time, you know, we are who we are. We're doing the things that we're going to do. It'll adjust a little bit, you know, based on the opponent, but we're not going to be adding in new, you know, wholesale new things by that point in time. So really I want to save our kids' bodies and legs during that course of, you know, that point in the season. But really that's a, like I said, that that's just it's a lot different than how other people do it, but it's a lot more how you see people. My, my concern, I guess, with a regular game prep is there's so many peaks and valleys. You know, you go from playing like crazy, then you drop down, then you're hard again right away in practice, then you taper all the way down right before the game, and, and it's a roller coaster, you know, for what the, the kids' physicality and intensity levels need to be as opposed to ours is that we're really heavy on the brain early on in the week and then heavier on the body later on in the week. And that, you know, it's kind of like a teeter totter and it switches over probably about halfway through the practice on Thursday. Yeah. That's a, that's a very interesting approach and very unique. I can honestly say I, I haven't heard anything like that one. I've, I've heard coaches kind of, uh, and I think a lot of it comes from Chip Kelly building up towards the end of the week, but uh, everything you're doing actually makes sense. And I really like how you taper off as the season goes along as well. So, uh, you know, thank you for sharing those ideas. That uh, I think that's something that coaches can learn from. Yeah, I think so. But, it's, again, it's, a, it's one of those that there's no way. You know, my, you know, I, I talk all the time with my uh, old high school coach from Bettenberg High School in Iowa. And uh, Coach Wiley, man, he's, he's an old dude shit stuck in his ways. He's as smart of a football guy as you'll ever be around, but he will not change <laughs> anything from how he likes it. he's comfortable with what he does so you know he and i all getting healthy debates about that stuff and he probably thinks i'm the craziest person walking around on the planet coach you mentioned uh the rugby tackling and obviously at usa football that's a big thing we believe in uh we've worked with uh afca the nfl pete carroll and rocky seto put together uh, what we call shoulder tackling now it used to be called hawk tackling uh usa rugby mm-hmm. actually took part in this as well so we're really big promoters of the shoulder tackle, um, which, you know, you're referring to as the rugby tackling. How has that implementing that uh, made a difference for you guys defensively? Uh, a lot of, a lot of things. I'll tell you one is that I will tell you it's already starting right now. So if there's a high school coach listening to this or a youth coach listening to this or a college coach, it doesn't matter. It is starting now. I, I have recruits that we win recruiting battles over with parents because we talk about how we tackle that way and how the the impact that, that makes on not only our productivity on the field, which as coaches we probably talk about too much, but the safety of their kids. It's happening now. So I think that is a very critical thing for our sport just from a PR standpoint. Uh, I, I really believe that. But then for me, the biggest thing is that there's so much now quantifiable data that when you watch film that you see – how it exactly is implicated into your games. So there's a lot of things. Like for us, we've seen a lot of things as far as uh, you can actually teach realistic tackles um, for how they actually happen in games. You can tackle during practice all the time. 
uh, and it, it, there's there's no concussion, there's there's no injury. I think in the last between spring, this fall and this spring, I think we only had in practice one concussion in that entire time. So it's cleaned up a lot of those things. And then uh, the other one is just you know what's happening in games is finally what's happening in drills. I played football for a long time, obviously, and you just go through, and that was the thing that drives you nuts is, is you do it in every other area. You know, like you, offensive guys hate seven on seven because it doesn't resemble at all what happens in a game. Okay. Well, when you go and you do old school form tackling drills, when's the last time you've ever seen someone tackled like that in a game? I mean, it just doesn't happen. You know, we're <laughs> just running through and you just get chested and the guy kind of half jumps up there. So the <laughs> quality of the, of the drill work and the reps that you're getting are so much more realistic. And then when you get to the game film, you can you can sit there and say, hey, this is right, this is wrong. There's quantifiable, measurable things that you're now teaching. That's why I love inside zone and our gap stuff is that there is no like running back has good vision. He has assignments and rules, and, and you're doing this right or you're doing this wrong, and anyone can get plugged in in our system at tailback and follow these rules and go. I'm the biggest advocate of, uh, you know, the same thing we saw the – Seahawks video that was like the first thing that got us talked about a couple of years ago and then Ohio you know started learning from Ohio State and you know Chris Ash when he was at Iowa State I always followed him thought he was an extremely bright football guy and they are making the switch to it and then you go over and you know you're watching how all of these things apply to it and we you know we went up to Kansas State when they had their rugby tackling clinic there and I work all those USA football camps I really enjoy those and that's just been a it's a huge asset for the sport as a whole, and I think every team that does it, it makes your team better. Well, Coach, those are available too. Uh, you know, the nice thing we did is is uh, made those free, and there's 22 drills in there. Um, most of them, if not all of them, you can do without equipment on. You know, you, you think of uh, tackling today. Most of your teaching can be done – you know, not just teaching, but the drilling can be done year-round. Well, kids can work on some of those things without really doing a heck of a lot of banging, and I think it's uh, it's an important thing to note. And I th- It's interesting that you bring that up, that that really is becoming a part of recruiting now, um, that, you know, players want to know, what kind of techniques are you teaching? Uh, I think that's an important thing for uh, the recruits to understand. I, I think it's also important for college coaches to understand, too, that, hey, all eyes are on us to to save this game and we got to do it by by finding the safest techniques and doing things the right way i i couldn't agree more i mean people might think i'm crazy but i think that the next two things that need to happen and it's going to sound crazy but i think the next two things that need to happen for our sport to continue to thrive i think it's the most important at the youth level and i think the two things that are going to have to happen are a wholesale belief and buy-in from youth, younger coaches and coaches that want to coach the rugby-style tackling. And I think the other thing, which is unrelated, I guess, but I think there needs to be less games played uh, at the youth level and more drill work and fundamental work because it's like you said, you can do those things and and, and teach football as opposed to uh, this, kid's who, this kid who's 10 looks like he's 16. I'm going to hand him the ball 15 times a game and watch him right. run over everybody because uh, I'm trying to win the game. Well, if you remove that component, then it's just about teaching and producing high-quality reps and high-quality football. So by the time they end up playing games, when you know people pay attention and coaches lose jobs because they don't win enough, 
when it, you know, that's when you need to be playing the games, I guess. Exactly. But yeah, the rugby style tackling has just been awesome for us. And, and that's the other thing too. I always thought there was a stigma when you go through practice and practice and practice. And now a coach says, okay, well, this next period live, everybody kind of is like, Oh, well, you know, like panics a little bit. You know, it's like when you go to slow tempo and they go, Oh, it's two minutes. Everybody kind of panics a little bit well, for us. So we tackle our quarterbacks. Every one of our quarterbacks gets tackled in practice. We don't have, you know, and it's awesome. Our kids, our kids have no connotation attached with the word live that anything ever changes for how we do things. And we just go about business and then we have measurable clips on film where we're grading tackling and we tackle in a 10 minute tackle circuit every single day. So when we go spring football, we tackle our quarterbacks every single day. Cause that's a very you know, RQ run game and stuff. That's a big part of what we do. Mm-hmm. So again, the stuff that's happening in games should be happening in your drill work and practices. It's a, it's a good point. Now, do you continue that as you hit the season? Are your quarterbacks still live per se in, in some of those drills? <laughs> Here's my real answer. It depends. If I only have <laughs> one quarterback that can win us a game, I probably don't tackle him much. <laughs> if I have, you know, if they can both run the ball, yeah, we tackle and we'll we'll continue to do that because then those guys stay and compete, you know, in, in a big battle. One quarterback thing I started doing that I really like, you know, so you, you bring in your freshman class that you you try your best to to know who they are and how good they are, and there's always some that are a little better than you thought, and some that maybe aren't quite as developed as you had hoped. One thing I started doing that's because uh, our quarterbacks run the ball and we do some really simple RPOs, bubbles, and now screens or hitches or whatever. After about four or five practices in fall camp we will take the two best athletes out of that freshman class, regardless of position, and make them come out 10 minutes early to do gun meshes and quarterback exchange. I catch gun snaps and go through in cadence, then do regular meshes, and we'll keep them 10 minutes after and have them throw bubbles, nows, hitches. And then every year you just do that with the next two best athletes in that class. And now you've got in a pinch – after four years, eight kids in your program outside of your quarterbacks that if they needed to could line up and run 80% of your stuff. So that, that's been a really helpful tool for us as far as developing guys and getting guys ready that if we were ever in a, in a big pinch and, and it came to that, or we had a really good quarterback in 15 and if something happened to him, we were in big trouble. So I wanted to avoid that. Coach, you've shared some great ideas here today, and I know I learned some things, so I'm sure our listeners will as well. Uh, The one final question I have for you is, what's the one thing you would point to as giving your team the winning edge? We try to not commit suicide during games. More games are lost than they are won, and our kids are very aware of that. I make that painfully, painfully aware as it's not – it's all those hidden yardage. It's not the 60-yard touchdown run. And it's really not the, the that stuff. It's that, you know, we sit and we play a ton of cover three. Very rarely do offenses have eight, nine play drives. You can throw a hitch a couple times, and offensive coordinators aren't going to do that the whole game. You know, for us, it's it's how do we, when we run inside zone or power, we block it for four. How do we figure out a way to make that turn into a five? How do we make a five turn into a six? And, you know, we're really sound. I don't think you can win games on special teams. I think you can lose a lot of games on special teams, and we talk about that all the time. There's situations in games where we punt on third down from our offense. If we get, you know, third and 18 and it's a windy day, I'm converting that sucker. I'm going to punt it out of our offense when you don't have somebody back there, and we're going to net 50, 60 yards of field position, which was certainly way better than running a play and then a punt team. So we, we try to not lose games. 
And I know that sounds kind of a cliche, corny answer, but we make you beat us. If you beat us, look at the two games we lost last year. We've had the two best seasons in school history the last two years. We lost two games last year. One team absolutely took us to the woodshed early on because we thought we were a little better than what we were. And, uh, they destroyed us, and then the second game we turned the ball over. And as I said, that was the only two games we lost, and we deserved to lose both of them. You know, the other games we won, it's probably not necessarily that we – I know it's we didn't just line up and have guys that move everybody over. We just – they probably made more critical errors than we did. And I think that we uh, we do a good job stressing those things. So I wish I wish there was a sexier, more fun answer. <laughs> but that makes really, sense. that's probably it. Coach, how can our listeners connect with you? Email me. Give, uh, we're, we're very active on social media on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. And by us, I mean our whole staff. We do a very we're big with that. And we have a big uh, social media release coming out next week about helmets, which will be very exciting. Uh, but, yeah, Twitter, we're very active on, like I said, on Twitter, Instagram, and uh, not really Facebook, but most Twitter. So, yeah, find us there. And uh, anything I can do to help out, Anybody who's listening, this is a great podcast. I listen constantly, uh, and you, you learn. I learn ten things new from this thing all the time. And first heard about it from Jake Mueller, the head coach of Muscatine High School in, in Iowa, and he got me hooked. So <laughs> anything I can do to help out, ever my staff can ever do for anybody, just let us know. Coach, thanks for taking the time today. Good luck to you and the Coyotes as you approach the 2017 season. Thank you much. Thanks again for listening to Coaching Coordinator. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski. And stay tuned for new episodes, whether you're playing here in the fall or in the spring. We're going to take care of you and make sure you're prepared for your next season, as well as giving you the answers and things that come up during the season. If you have the time, head over to iTunes and click five star for a rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It helps the podcast.